Hello, this is Malcolm Collins here with Simone, and we are joined by Raw Egg Nationalists. I would be very surprised if there are members of our audience who don't know who he is, but he, he he's a, really an influencer in sort of the conservative lifestyle space, specifically focused on trying to raise awareness around the feminization of the male body due to things like endocrine disruptors. If you want to follow him on Twitter, his his at is babygravy9, and he's written five books at this point. He's got a sub stack you can check out. And uh, yeah. And a magazine, well, Man's World. Magazine? Oh, yes, of course, Man's World. And it's going to have a physical edition soon, I've heard, which mm -hmm. is pretty cool. I'd like to see that in stores. Of course, the the powers that be will probably <laughs> never let that happen so long as it, it keeps being honest. Um, but... Uh, the topic that I wanted to focus on today was where do you think society is going like 500 years in the future? And you can chart this in steps, like where you think things are going in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, etc. So let's go. Well, it's it's great to be back. We had such a wonderful conversation last time. I'm, I'm sure this is this is going to be fantastic, too. So. <sighs> fundamentally i think i have a i have a kind of hg wells-esque vision of the future i think that what we're going to see is we're going to see a kind of a kind of split in the human race i think i mean i like to i'm an, i'm an optimist or i try to be an optimist in many ways about people's ability to con take control of their lives you know, I mean, I tell people, look, there are simple things that you can do. You're overweight. You can lose weight. You know, you, you can stop eating as much food as you're eating. You can get active. You can reduce your exposure to endocrine disruptors. And, you know, you can transform your life. You will be un if you do that, you will be unrecognizable in a year, three years, five years. You'll be a totally different person. But on my slightly less optimistic days, then I do think that actually there is a large segment of the population that now will find it impossible not to be enormously unhealthy, to be dysgenically unhealthy. And, I mean, you only need to look at the emergence of drugs like Azempic, for instance, Wegovy, you know, these these fat loss miracle, miracle drugs that are being marketed now, you know. I mean, they're, they're being explicitly marketed on the, on the assumption that the majority of people just can't lose weight any other way yeah we, we can't reform society in in ways that will make it easier for people to make the right choices and so what you have yeah. to do is you have to rely on pharma to do it so that's so this is this is really where i think it comes in i think there will be a there will be fundamentally i don't know at what point maybe it's happening right now there will be a kind of selection event almost where people with willpower will kind of will kind of break away from the rest of society into a kind of a physical elite, I think. Yeah, I, I, I one thing I want to add to this, because I think it's really interesting, and this for me has been a big turnaround in my relationship with people of rotundity, <laughs> which is contextualizing for myself that obesity is about as genetic as IQ. So very genetic, like 0 0.8. However, it does not appear from my research that this level of genetic correlation with obesity is due to any biological change. It's not like these people have higher or lower metabolisms. Actually, human metabolism does not change that much. It would make a difference if you're going like two and a half standard deviations from the norm of like 200 calories a day. So like a candy bar and that's it. So what 
what is really then happening here with obesity, I think, to what you're getting is that willpower is enormously genetic. And so it would make sense what you're talking about. If you begin to have people separating out, you will have, and I think that this is very different from what a lot of people anticipate, which is like, oh, society will split into like a high IQ and low IQ group. Um, whereas you're saying, no, it's going to split into maybe a high willpower, low willpower group, which I, I could see. I'd be, I'd be much more interested in marrying a, a high willpower person than a high IQ person. Well, I think the, what's going on with Ozempic and we go via all the semaglutide interventions is it really does demonstrate that this is a willpower thing. Why is that the case? Mm -hmm. Well, these don't actually slow your metabolism. They make you feel less hungry. So what they're really controlling is willpower in a sense and not, not actual metabolism, which is really, in fact, they're, they're adversely affecting your metabolism because when you lose so much weight, your metabolism drops and then people go off it. And of course they gain the weight super fast because their body's well, like, Oh, we're starving. So and, yeah. And, and, and what, and what also happens is of course that, that there've been a couple of studies that have showed this, but you don't just lose fat, you lose right, muscle, you lose a lot of muscle. Right? Yeah. And, mus and muscle is much more metabolically expensive to maintain than yeah. fat. So actually, yeah. Oh, you lose you lose two hundred pounds or whatever, but you've actually lost a huge amount of skeletal muscle. And yeah, then unless you you're actively weight training while you're losing, yeah. like there are some like nerds who are definitely going for that. Like they're really sure. like they're aware of the problem. But <laughs> you don't know. Like that's like first off, if you're disciplined enough to lift weights while you're yeah. you know going through this, then you're probably not the kind of person who absolutely needs to use semaglutide. No, exactly. Um, so it's but what they're and what they're talking about as well is they're talking about using azempic and other GLP one receptor agonists. That's the class of drugs that azempic belongs to. They're talking about using them now to treat other forms of addiction. They're talking yeah. about using them to treat alcoholism, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with an obesity doctor and another super smart guy about this and. For example, we've had naltrexone forever to treat alcoholism and a bunch of other forms of addiction, but people don't really like how it makes them feel, right? Because nothing's really that much fun. And, you know, these, these new, this new class of drugs is a lot more pleasant to use, even though there are some unpleasant side effects. So yeah, it could have a really interesting effect. And it is interesting. I want to see a lot more research on the effects that these do have. Even like people have, I don't know how, how much this is anecdotal for people or a placebo effect, you know, reporting less time on social media, less time gambling, et cetera. It's super interesting. Well, the side, the side effects of, of semaglutide and these other drugs are very interesting. I've written, uh, written uh, quite, quite at length about yeah. them. I wrote a piece, mm. I wrote a piece for American mind called fatty's little helper about <laughs> Azempic and, uh, it was I, I mean i talked at length about the side effects in particular and they're nasty they're really nasty mm. and people are people are, re are starting to realize now so one of the one of the increased risks from azempic is inhaling the contents of your stomach so oh. if you yeah so azempic it normally your stomach empties in a few hours and what azempic does is it is it slows the movement of food out of your stomach Mm. Uh, to a rate of i mean it, it basically doesn't move at all and in fact you can get stomach paralysis but it might take three weeks for your stomach to empty rather than oh, three weeks yeah so what happens is if you're if you're fat and you are on a zempic you're probably i mean hugely fat now you're likely to have a gastric bypass as well they're recommending bariatric surgery in in conjunction with use of a zempic well sure. you lay you lay down on the table your stomach is still full and and so the gastric juices and the food in your stomach comes back up out of your throat and you inhale it into your lungs and you can you can die. Fuck. But that is 
that is called gastroparesis. Wow. It's gastroparesis? No, it's. Well, um, I don't know. I imagine these people, they don't adapt to the new behavior immediately. So they're probably overeating for their new digestion. Yeah. But that's a, so that's a, that's a serious risk. The other risk is of chronic obstructive, chronic obstructions in the, in the intestines. So they reckon that that might be how Lisa Marie Presley died or Priscilla Presley. I forget which, which she had, she'd been on a mega, a mega weight loss drive before the premiere of the new Elvis film. And she had already had bariatric surgery because she'd struggled with weight in the past. Bariatric surgery scars the intestines and it can make them sort of ruckle up almost. And it makes it harder for food to pass through. Well, then you take a Zempic as well. And I think she was on opioids mm. and it just slows to a slow. The food basically doesn't move and you get an obstruction. And that's how she died. She died of a, of a bowel obstruction. So there's that as well. But then, but then there's also the fact that in rat studies, in rodent studies, then these GLP-1 agonist drugs like semaglutide and others reliably cause thyroid tumors in the long term. Oh, interesting. So can yes. you quickly huh. go over, if you happen to know, the mechanism of action of these drugs? So they, they, oh God, what is it? I think it's either, it's, it's either, I think it's either ghrelin or leptin. They work on the receptors in the stomach that signal satiety basically i, yeah. I don't know the exact mechanism so they, they signal to your brain that you're that you're satiated but they also slow the digestion of your stomach slow the yeah. movement of things from your stomach so you you are actually more full so you know? someone you were saying that they could be used for alcohol how would that work yeah i don't so that's that's what i, I under uh, so what rye nationalist said is, is what i understand as well that that affects satiety and slows digestion I don't know how or why this would affect. I think um, people are getting confused with opioids. Well, no, 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 no. I, I really, no, no, no. Because the, again, people taking these drugs are reporting these other effects. What I think is happening here is, you know how they say never go shopping hungry? I think that when people feel hungry, they also are engaging in more impulsive behavior. <coughs> and oh. and that, that I think is what may be at play. When you feel really full, are you like super keen? Like, imagine you just ate like a giant holiday meal. Like, do you want to go? Oh, like, that's fascinating. You know, like another fascinating table? effect of this is that sexuality changes when people are hungry. If you remember I, this from our book, so this, if these drugs become more common, we could see changes in human sexuality. Some really obvious ones are men prefer smaller breasts when they're less hungry oh, yeah. and they prefer larger breasts when they're more hungry. This is also true of poor versus wealthy men. Basically, if you're resource scarce, you're going to optimize for women who look like they oh. have more access to resources. So ladies, We're, schedule your breast reduction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or if you, you, you have access to copious resources as a man, you're typically going to optimize for women who look like they have a longer reproductive cycle, i.e. are younger. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting as well. I wonder if in women there's similar like, like sexual changes when they're, when they're not hungry. <laughs> well, there, I mean, there have been, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there probably, I'm sure there probably are. And I, I mean, I know that there are, that there are certainly studies that show that women's mate preferences change when they go on and come off hormonal contraception. That's Absolutely. a big one. That's a big one. And, you know, it's been shown that, that I think that women, is it women when they're on, I can't remember whether it's when they're on contraception or when they're off that they prefer more masculine faces and obviously more masculine faces of higher levels of testosterone 
but yeah, so I would, I would, I mean, all of these hormones, I think what we have to remember is that these hormones have all sorts of effects. You know, yeah. we, we talked in the last episode about testosterone as the aggressive hormone that people just think it's about aggression when actually it regulates virtually almost every kind of behavior you can think, every type of behavior you can think of in men and in women as well. And I think that even appetite hormones like ghrelin and leptin and things like that, then they must obviously be involved in very complicated circuits of of reward and appetite and and will within the brain so yes i mean i i think that yeah i think i think yeah. you could definitely you you sh- if they haven't done a study of, of women's sexual preferences when they're hungry and when they're satiated then they should i just pulled one up by the way okay so here are the differences so this one looked at men and women so for men it found that hungry males in line with what i was saying preferred females with more physically mature features specifically females who were heavier taller and older female participants who were hungry showed elevated preferences for partners with a more mature personality profile so like beards and no personality profile i.e less probably impulsive more muted like an old man because when when a woman is full then she's probably into like younger more risky seeming men is that yeah yeah that's my guess it's probably this like alpha the like when i think what is a young personality profile for a male it's the typical alpha profile where someone who will go out and like kill something for them to eat Yeah, yeah, well, and who's constantly signaling their virtue, like, well, not their virtue, but their, what's the word I'm looking for? Prowess. Yeah, prowess, dominance, et cetera, yeah. Uh, Whereas older men are typically not signaling those things as much. I'm pretty sure that's specifically what they're looking at, which is interesting because it could mean that a lot of these alpha mindsets are going to be less attractive to women in the um, near future if they're all on an Ozempic. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be more interested, I mean, like, so I think a woman is more likely to want to date someone on Ozempic than a man. And I say this because like men on Ozempic, you know, I mean, pretty much anyone on Ozempic either has really good health insurance, they can pay for it or they're wealthy, right? Because this is not cheap well, stuff. Well, men on Ozempic are going to like fat women. That's what the studies show. You know, you're more into older, fatter women. I think women are going to be really pushing this. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So then that's, that's fortunate, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of the correlatory factors with who's taking Ozempic. I think men are going to prefer women who are not taking Ozempic. So why do you say that because they're they're they've better inhibitory control and they're probably most men don't care they just care what women look like that's true fair (laughs) oh well (laughs) okay let's let's talk about this split in humanity right high will low will category but they may look fairly similar it's just the amount of drugs that they're using like what are your thoughts on that i i think i think we may very well see physical differences start to emerge now i don't know I'm not a, any kind of genetic specialist, so I can't tell you how many how many generations it takes, for instance. For... It happens really quick, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I've read uh, one of my favorite books is Western Price, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. This is an ama- amazing. Um, it's, well, I think it's the best book on nutrition ever written. Wow. Written, in the, written in the 1930s. He was a dentist and he, he went and he visited. Uh, well, he was a dentist and he he observed in his patients in Cleveland that they were developing all sorts of facial deformities and behavioral difficulties, especially the children. And he thought it was something to do with the diet because they were starting to eat more and more industrially produced foods rather than the kind of foods that their parents and grandparents had eaten, locally produced whole foods, animal foods, etc. 
He went on a globe-trotting adventure looking for tribal societies that still ate their traditional diets mm. as a kind of comparison case for, you know, for people eating industrial diets in the West. And, I mean, he discovered, for instance, in the Scottish Highlands, the, the, the Highlanders of Scotland were once the tallest people in Europe. They were regularly six foot seven, six foot eight, seven feet tall sometimes, you know, hugely tall people. And then within a generation after they stopped eating their traditional diets, after they stopped eating fish livers baked with oats and, and you know, lots of milk and butter and all that kind of stuff, <coughs> started eating industrial foodstuffs, bleached flour, canned foods all that kind of stuff they shrank six inches something like that in a generation yeah there was massive massive shrinkage apparently i mean i still think highlanders at all but but so so yes i mean i probably think it it could happen quite quickly and and i do i do think that there will be on a long enough timeline then we will see we will see something like like what hg wells describes in the time machine i think unless of course there are interventions with technology maybe that that sort of counter the the just the dysgenic influence of bad lifestyle massive medication inactivity all that kind of stuff but i do think that what we're going to get is a a self-selecting very small a much smaller minority self-selecting an in-group that that sort of mates within the in-group and it will it will be a physical elite, but I think it will be a cognitive elite too. I mean, mm. bad life, bad lifestyles. You have to understand obesity, lack of exercise. You know, they have epigenetic effects on every aspect of your body, including your brain. And I mean, I think that there was a study. I did see a study. I think that correlated obesity with IQ. Some something. something mm, yeah. Well, they, they do seem to correlate in general. Like also, that's a really high correlate with high birth rate, unfortunately. Yeah. So but, uh, so other than IQ, obesity, I think it's the second highest corollary with fertility rate. Yeah. The, ge- the the genetic. So specifically here, what I'm saying is the polygenic score. So like the genetic code that is associated with obesity is also heavily associated and can be used as a predictor for how many kids someone is going to have. So we will see, and it's being selected for almost as much as the one for low IQ is being selected for. So we're very likely to see a a rapid rise in obesity, given that it's about as genetic as IQ and it's being selected for about as much as IQ. We should probably see the same one standard, but, but it, opposite one standard deviation shift upwards in obesity within the next 75 years in terms of the genetic correlates for it which is at least within the mainstream population that isn't performing any sort of strong sexual selection practices which is why it's important to begin to think about like what do the sexual selection practices of your family look like what are you telling your kids if they're going out there and this is one of the really toxic things that i think comes from you know sort of the the red pill mindset If they're going out there and optimizing on banging hot chicks, that is not optimizing for genetic fitness in a world of things like Ozempic and stuff like that. You need to be banging and or not even banging. You need to be marrying sane chicks. You can go out there and bang hot (laughs) chicks, but you need to marry sane chicks. And there are not many of them. They are a far greater prize than a hot chick in today's environment. And it is very easy to accidentally, you know, marry someone who, who has these negative causes or negative genetic correlates when you didn't intend to. I'm not saying like the freeze them out. It depends on your culture's optimization. The culture that Simone and I would create for our kids, I would want them to marry people who are, you know, psychologically healthy and that that have a, a 
Yeah, but it's up to the individual. I just think that this can be hidden from individuals. So it's it's very easy to to have a genetically permeable culture when you didn't intend to. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I mean, there's yeah, I, I, I don't I don't really know. I don't really know what to add to that. Actually, that's what I'll say. I think that that's I think that's I think that's 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 a tremendous way to put it. And I think that there I think that you're right about the limits of the of the red pill mindset. I mean, I I'm sure I probably get lumped in with with these red pill kind of types, but I don't I, I have a, a much more nuanced understanding, I think, and I try to put forward a much more nuanced interpretation of relations between men and women than a lot of these kind of red pill gurus do. It's definitely it's definitely more complicated than just you know the the solution is to as you say is to go out and have sex with yeah. as many attractive women as possible because of course because of course you know there are there are ways to make oneself attractive in the short term that actually have absolutely no correspondence whatsoever with long term fitness you know and and I mean they always say you know it's like you might want to sleep with a, a woman but it might not necessarily going to be the woman you marry is it and. I mean, that is, I think that is very true. And I think that, I think that we're in a difficult position because of course you need to be discerning, but it's actually becoming much harder to be discerning as well. I mean, I think you always should be discerning, but actually um, the, the the prize, the size of the prize, if you will, is shrinking and it is harder and harder, even with, even with dating apps and things like that, because actually in many respects, dating apps are a false economy, dating, dating apps, you know, they actually probably the kind of women and the kind of men that are on dating apps are probably of a very particular kind. And actually, yeah. if that is your sole pool for for reproduction and the possibility of reproduction, then actually you may very well be filtering out precisely the kind of people that you should be meeting, that you would want that ideally you would want to meet, but actually you're just never going to meet them because it's all the crazy BPD, BPD crazy women on there. Yeah, yeah we see that a lot. Yeah. In in the far future, what would you hope for? Like, I, I feel like right now we're at this this point in society where things could go one of many ways. And the things that we do now, our actions can point us in one direction or another. I think this is a great time to live because of that. Is there a direction in which you'd like to nudge society? And if so, what would it produce over the long run? I suppose I, I would love to live I would love to live in a society that valued health, that valued true health. And mm. because of course we don't. And you know, I write about I write about all sorts of things. I write about the way that the FDA licenses chemicals, for instance, the fact that we operate on a presumption of safe until proven otherwise. And I've said, well, actually, look, it's very obvious actually that that many chemicals are extremely harmful in the long term. You can do these short term studies, but actually you don't get any idea of of the real effects of the chemicals until it's too late, until it's seventy years down the line, and and we're decades away from a from a <coughs> profound reproductive crisis. So, I mean, I I would like to nudge society in a direction where actually we 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 see the ultimate value, not as 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 commercial value not as money but as actually the flourishing human life that's what i would which would be much much closer to you know a kind of ancient greek conception of of the good life of, of yeah. the kind of yeah of the kind of of the kind of social life that should be fostered you know it's not just about it's not just about money it's not about the commercial applications of of new products of new chemicals it's actually about how do we live how should we live 
Yeah, and, and, and I'd also point out here, and I think that this is probably, I don't know if you, but I, I would definitely consider myself part of the red pill community. So when I'm saying the red pill community has these problems, I'm talking <laughs> internally about the community, not as an yeah. outsider who's like, aha, silly red pillars. I'm more like, hey, let's make sure that we, and, I, and the community is maturing dramatically. Like mm -hmm. if you look at where it is versus where it was 10 years ago, I, I think that it is the community that to a large extent has transformed into this well rogue nationalism right yeah i mean uh, i i think i think that yeah i, I think you're, i think you're right about that i think you're right about that i mean i would yeah i mean i, I i'm red-pilled in certain respects and i certainly recognize that you know that a lot of a lot of the stuff that even the sort of archetypal masculinity guru you know of, of the past said is true and people like heart east for instance who's a kind of you know do you remember heart east he was a, yeah 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 people like that you know they a lot of the stuff that they said particularly about hypergamy that kind of stuff i mean it's totally it's totally true it's totally true and i think that people people need to understand it uh, there's a kind of what i would say is that actually maybe as the red pill community has become more popular then of course it's been democratized and it's been watered down and you get these people who just you know, reheat these very, very old takes endlessly for, you know, for likes on social media. But actually, I think that the fundamental, the fundamental, the fundamental motivation behind the red pill community, I think is, is right. And I think, I think yeah. some of the fund, the fundamental insights are right as well, too. So it's really interesting the way that you're wording this, because this is giving me a bit of a revelation is when I hear like, red pill takes that remind me of red pill takes from when the community was still just called red pill right like i'm like oh that's a really reused take like that's really old and i think the reason is is because the community really mined all of the ideas and all of the the um revelations that could have come from this world perspective within its first like three and a half years of existing and now all of the evolutions of the movement are related on diverging ideals um, because all of the obvious takes were already mined. And so you still have some people like going over those obvious takes, but it, of course the community would evolve and sort of undergo adaptive radiation. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. I mean, I, th I think what you're seeing is yes, is people actualizing the kind of red pill insights in different ways. And, you know, so mm -hmm. you, you might have someone like Rolo Tomasi who's saying, you know, get, get a vasectomy and, you know, I mean, you. I think you can agree with some of the stuff that Rollo Tomasi has said. At the same oh. time, I'm thinking, well, that's that's deeply stupid. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of men are right in thinking that they'll never get a, a fair deal in our society right now, mm. and that you, you know we can. I mean, as I've mentioned, a lot of this stuff is genetic. You can be like a smart person and just understand that you have enormously low willpower and you're never going to mm. achieve what you want to achieve because you just don't have the willpower for it. And and we can say net up and try to push yourself through it but i think when i look at the like the genetic research i don't know if that's a fair thing for me to be telling people yeah no, and i mean i think i think as well then you see a lot of you see a lot of stupidity on the on the opposite or maybe not the op the opposing side but the for instance like the kind of trad side where people are saying you know everything will be fine if you just get married and have kids i mean yeah. people 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 should get married i think and people should have children but that isn't that's not the be all and end all that yeah. isn't that isn't going to solve the that isn't going to solve the fundamental problems that are that have been raised for instance by the red pill community so and we we have an episode about this that I'd point people to because it's, it's one of my favorite episodes which is how girl defined ruined an entire generation of women and <laughs> 
Of course, this was a play on the, you know, how Scott Pilgrim ruined an entire generation of women. But the idea being is that there was this conservative mindset for a while, the conservative influence with online adapted and, and Girl Defined did this, where they basically told people, if you just live by these conservative rules and you get married and you save yourself for marriage and you have kids, everything will be all right. And the point we were making in that video is... No, like, like specifically, it wasn't even just everything will be all right. It's you will get the things that secular society has been promising you at a higher level than you can achieve them through sexual for, through secular society, like, you know, hedonistic sexual gratification, like relationship that works well without you having to put effort in. And that just wasn't true. The, the, the rewards for chastity and the rewards for willpower are not the same rewards that secular society is handing out. I think they're better rewards. I think they're more meaningful rewards, but it's very easy to miss that it's a completely different optimization function and a different set of rewards you should be expecting. And that just because you follow these rules doesn't mean that there aren't hard things that you're going to have to go through every day. Yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely. And also, I think as well, there's a kind of it's almost presented as a kind of Benedict option as well. It's like, you know, you can you can retreat from the world if you just get married and have your nice trad family, you know, everything will be OK. And and as as we know, you know, there's still a public education system, massive propaganda apparatus. We do have to change the world. We can't. We yeah. can't. Retre we can't retreat from the world. We actually have to change the world. And yeah. Um, well, and if we retreat, eventually the world is is going to come for us. Especially because, exactly. as Malcolm frequently points out, the sort of dominant culture doesn't have any other way to get more members than by stealing them because they're not reproducing above repopulation rate. Also, thinking long term, one thing I wanted to ask you is what you think in fifty years, a hundred years, five hundred years is going to be seen as like completely barbaric about the way we live now. Assuming that, you know, what we live, what, what people are like in the future has been selected for. Like, I mean, you know, those who survive, those who reproduce, what will they think of today as being just insane? That's a, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, I think we're, we're already seeing, so, you know, I was talking about the advertising for a Zempic. We're right. already seeing this notion that it is, that it is basically barbaric to suggest that people intervene to make their own lives better. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, you no, you can't stop. You can't stop eating. You cannot close the fridge. You cannot you cannot get up off the sofa and Well, that and... sounds like fat phobia to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I it know. sounds I mean, pretty it's... hateful. I think we might get this video <laughs> to demonetize for that kind of talk. <laughs> but but I think but I think that what we're gonna see is we're gonna see a real a real growth of that mindset. And I think that it will be pushed by Big Pharma because it's being pushed by Big Pharma now. It's Novo Nordisk who's paying for the advertising that says you can't get, you can't lose weight other than by taking a Zempic. So I think that, I mean, I think that if if there is this split that I've posited, then there may very well be, you know, one segment of society that just truly believes that actually human beings are almost like inert, inert objects upon which external forces act and, mm. and that it is barbaric in any way to expect independent volition from you know your average fat or from from anybody you know from your average fatty so i think that, that what you might see then is you might see a you maybe you'll see a, a kind of ayn randian split you know where you've got like <laughs> these these ultra high achieving physical specimens who believe that actually any notion that 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 anything is beyond your will 
is that's barbaric the notion mm. that you know you should coddle people in any way and then you've got the other side of society these people who perhaps believe that actually you can't expect any willpower whatsoever mm. on any level from people yeah. that people are just objects yeah well and it is interesting to me that a lot of these things that are correlated with these lower willpower groups are also correlated with a high fertility which means that not only is fertility driving, and it's likely, I had to guess what's causing this. It's likely that these are the kids, you know, as we say, there's really only two reasons to have a lot more than two kids. It's either because you have some exogenous ideological motivation, like that's what's motivating you to do it, or you simply couldn't figure out birth control. <laughs> you know, either you lacked the initiative to think ahead or whatever. And, and I think that that's why you're getting this correlation here. Or the welfare, the welfare state as well, I think. Yeah, that, that, that as well. And so I think what this means is not only are kids dropping in the world, but even faster. And I think the hidden thing that, that's happening at a, a much higher rate is these high willpower and other correlations, cu cultural groups or kids born into them. They are going to be exceedingly rare going into the future. And that means they are the next Bitcoin. High willpower kids are the next Bitcoin. Because as Simone was saying, you know, the, the mainstream society needs these people and it needs them disproportionately. That's why we know it's coming for our kids. That's why you can't just go Benedict, because if you have kids, then you have the one asset they really want and they will come in and they will find a way to take those kids from you. And you can see this if you look at the you know highest profile people in our society, like the Elons or whatever. Right. Like they targeted his kids aggressively. Right. Like yeah, that. Did is is something that any of us should expect and we need to steal our children against and build communities for them and build systems that help them find spouses in a world where it's going to become increasingly difficult and i do think it is a parent's failure as much as the kids if you if the kid cannot find a spouse because that that required your you know your networking and your culture building and your advice if, if you put them in a situation without realizing how much the world was changing around you and i just can't tell a kid oh just you know fucking go to a bar like that doesn't work anymore you know yeah no i, I think i think that's i think that's very very true i think the i think the emphasis on parental Maybe that's another thing that will be that will be considered barbaric is leaving your children to defend, you know, to, to, to figure everything out for themselves. I mean, that is a that is a hallmark of the kind of boomer liberal sort of um, yeah. mode of parenting. Right. Is it's like, oh, you know, everyone you have to be free to make your own mistakes. But actually, some mistakes <coughs> are fatal and you can make fatal mistakes very early in your life. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's funny you mentioned this is is people often hear about our parenting strategy and they go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're going to tell your kids who to be, you know, you're going <laughs> to you're and they're like, that's so abusive. And it's like, this is what every culture throughout human history has done until you guys came along. And the only reason why you're against this is because this is one of the tactics you use to separate children from their support networks. You know, as we always say, all cults, they need to separate individuals from their parents and their support networks. And that's often what they focus on doing first. So the mainstream society, the cult, you know, it, it tells kids your parents giving you advice on who to be or, or putting pressure on you in terms of who to be and what to achieve in life, that is intrinsically abusive, which is a great uh, psychological tool if you are trying to pry children from high effectiveness cultures. Yeah, one, yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, I do think the, the Elon, to go back to the Elon stuff, I mean, the Elon stuff is quite shocking, really, the way that his children have been targeted by mm. trans activists. And, you know, 
in in public and not only have they done it but they've also said we're transing we transed your daughter i think is what they said or your son yeah and yeah it's it's terrifying but that is in a microcosm that is that is society at large and you know i mean parents parents are shocked when they discover you know when they see a photo of a classroom and they see all of the all of the banners and the slogans and the pride flags and the love is love and all this kind of stuff on the wall. But it's like, you should know, you should, you should be taking enough of an interest in your child's education to know that that is, that that stuff is on the wall and that they're being taught by a a rainbow haired, but, but people don't until it's, people don't until it's too late. Well, Uh, so we already have this with our kids. Like we get told online regularly, like we are going to target your kids. Like that is our goal is to turn your kids against you in any way that we can. Now I will say, I think that the, the parts of the trans movement right now that have just spiraled out of control, I think that they're actually, they won't be relevant by the time my kids are growing up. They, they seem to have lost the the will of the people uh, which unfortunately is dragging down i think a lot of what i would consider the real trans movement. i mean there is there is obviously an effect of all these endocrine disruptors in our environment like like it would almost be surprising if we didn't see an explosion of actually people who are identifying as a different gender so i i feel for them being dragged through the mud by the crazy people but those those crazy people definitely exist right now. And I wonder what the next movement, what the next iteration of crazy is going to be that targets our kids for conversion. My guess right now, if I'm looking at things, it's, it's going to be the negative utilitarian Ephelis. I think that's going to be the next big movement, the voluntary extinction movement. Yeah, and I th- well, I th- yeah, and I think it's going to come hand in hand with the climate change movement, of course. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's going to be what the climate change movement transforms into. So yes. a portion of them will be motivated by climate change, but I think, and I see this already because I think the climate change movement doesn't have the popular will it used to. You know, you look at there's no. a great study I think done on like Gen Z that was looking at like Greta Thornburg's generation, right? And they are actually much less environmentally friendly than previous generations. They just actually aren't motivated by the climate change movement mm-hmm. anymore. They use people like Greta to speak to old people, but she was not actually effective at communicating with her generation. Yeah, it's very, no- it's very noticeable when you look at these just stop oil protests like you see you know footage of the just stop oil protesters in london and they're sat on they're sat on the motorway or something it's all old people now it's all like retired school teachers and civil servants and doctors there are very few young people young people don't give a shit about the environment but but i think that they're moving because what does sell to young people is doomerism and that's yeah. what the negative utilitarians, that's what the antinatalists offer young people is doomerism. They say humanity is the scourge and we need to end it. And 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 I think that those are going to be the groups that aggressively target our kids the most, is the ones who want them to hate their lives. And I think that they are going to be surprised by how resistant our kids are to these messages because we have had the fortune of seeing what happened to people like Elon and to build very specific social tools and mechanisms for our kids so that they will be more protected by people who want to indoctrinate them to punish their parents well listen you you have my full support you are you are no you are you are i I mean this genuinely you are good parents because it is a it is a it is a it i mean the world is terrible full stop you know there's been the world has been terrible since its inception but there are unique 
problems problems that are unique to our situation today and parents need to know about them and they need to do something about them they need to protect their children because once they're gone they're gone yeah as well i mean no historically once they were gone you know you'd lose them to like i don't know dyed hair for a few years or something like that and then they come back to you because they're like oh mom and dad you were right now once they're gone they're gone they have developed more advanced procedures to ensure that and i i do appreciate you know you you saying there's the term that we used to use for people like us face f's but uh, but but i i appreciate your discretion in the public eye and it, it's it's likely the best thing for your family which which is very understandable well, i would say guys there's actually a lot of hope i mean <laughs> to be quite honest malcolm the like elephists and the environmental antinatalists like they aren't gonna last longer than a couple generations and anyone who chooses to adopt that belief with every new generation is also not going to have kids so i feel like over time that kind of culture just isn't going to be able to spread because over time you know basically anyone who might have that kind of tendency they're being selected against and and mimetically sterilized so i feel like the the future that we can expect especially in a post like a postmodern world with lots of technology is going to be very pronatalist because everyone else is just not, not yeah. going to reproduce. Well, I, I agree. We got to, but, but what I'm saying is who's going to be targeting our kids? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's a question. <laughs> anyway, I, I am so excited that we had you on again. This, this podcast was incredible. I really liked it. And I hope our audience does as well. And they should really check out your Substack, your Twitter, which is again, baby gravy nine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Friends world magazine plus all of rag nationalists existing books on Amazon. There are four, but there is a fifth one on the way. And if you go to his Substack, you may get some sneak peeks of it. So do not miss it. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, it's, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. You're 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 really interesting people to talk to. And this is this has been a really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for joining. Definitely come back. We want to have more conversations like these. And yeah, thanks again for your time. I absolutely will. Thank you. Woo-hoo.